Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, Happy New Year one more time to Stevens Creek Church. I'm so grateful that you came on New Year's Day. I was hoping I could speak to somebody. And uh, I don't know if you came to celebrate last night's victory or to rub it into Pastor Marty. Too bad he's not here. Um, but I was wondering about the viewership. One more football comment, then I'll be done. Um, I was worrying about the viewership, you know, of the ball dropping. And I was like, hey, you know what? I watched the ball drop. I saw it go left, right, right about New Year's. So some of you non-football fans were like, huh? But uh, stay with me here. Hey, we're so, we're so glad that you're here. And it's New Year's Day, obviously. And, and I find it always an interesting time of the year for me personally. It's, it's something probably most people do. They they look back a little bit and reflect on the previous year, and then, of course, most of us look forward, and, and hopefully in anticipation or maybe expectation, uh, maybe, maybe you want something to change, or, or maybe last year was a rough year, and you're hoping this year will be different, or, or, or something of that sort. And, and I want to tell you from the get-go this morning that, that I believe God wants to change something in your life. In fact, I believe God wants to change you and do something new in your life this year, perhaps even today. And I don't know if you've experienced this, probably many of you have, where, where you've read a passage from Scripture and it spoke deeply to you. Maybe, maybe it shifted the way that you thought about something. Maybe it changed the way that you started to live. Maybe you wouldn't say that you just read the passage Maybe you would say the passage read you, and it shaped who you're becoming. There's one example for me that I want to read to you this morning and share a little bit of the truth that emerges from this text in my own life and how it's impacted my life in a profound way. And it's from 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says this, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones. He chose them from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in hand approached the Philistine. Let me read it from a different translation. He gave his own armor to David for him to wear, a bronze helmet which he put on David's head, and a coat of armor. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and tried to walk, but he couldn't because he wasn't used to wearing them. I can't fight with this, he said. I'm not used to it. So he took it all off. He took his shepherd's stick and then picked up five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in his shepherd's back. So there's this important truth that emerges from this text that has impacted me in a profound way, and it's this. How far you go and how much you grow is not just determined by what you believe about God. It is equally impacted by what you believe about you. How far you go and how much you grow is not only determined by what you believe about God, it is equally impacted by what you believe about you. 
So there's this wise sage named Solomon in the Bible, and, and here's how he said it in Proverbs. He says, as a man thinks, so is he. Or as a woman thinks, you could say, so is she. So Solomon doesn't say, as God thinks about you, so you are. He says, no, as a man thinks or a woman thinks about he or her, right, herself, she, sorry, as a man thinks about he, so he is. In other words, you'll always behave in a way that is consistent with how you see yourself. You'll always behave in a way that is consistent with how you see yourself. And it's possible that there's some inconsistencies between what God thinks about you and what you think about you. We'll call it a gap. But here's the good news. God wants to help all of us align what he thinks about you, wants to align, helps to help you align what you think about you with what he thinks about you so that you can discover how to live in a way that's consistent with what he thinks about you. So maybe that's why if you read through the scriptures, God continually, regularly, repeatedly, over and over again, reminds us of who we are. I mean, it's almost excessive how, how God goes above and beyond to tell us, to tell us who we are. You're a child of God. You're adopted into the family. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're holy and dearly loved. You're a friend of God. You are salt. You are light. On and on it goes. So if I am those things, why does God have to keep telling me that? Because God's truth isn't always my experience. God's truth about who you are, what he thinks about you, doesn't become what you experience until you really believe it. And sometimes things get in the way. One of those things is the enemy. There's a great theologian and writer, A.W. Tozer, and he says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is why the enemy tries to distort what we think about God. But when he can't do that, his next move is to change what you think about you. The Bible says the devil is a liar. And in fact, says in 1 John 2, the truth is not in him. So that means whatever he tells you about you cannot be true. In fact, whatever he tells you about you, the opposite is actually true. If he's telling you you're not going to make it, get ready because you're about to make it. If he's telling you that you're not going to receive it, you're about to receive it. If he's telling you it's over, guess what? It's just beginning. And if he's telling you it's not going to happen, it's on the verge of happening. See, one way the enemy lies to us is about our identity. In Genesis 3, it's interesting, at the beginning of the Bible, Satan tries to create this identity crisis with Adam and Eve by lying. And, and, and they're in the garden, and, and there's this snake, and, and no one's really surprised that there's a snake in the garden because sometimes the devil shows up looking like he belongs, right? And he says to Adam and Eve, you can eat that, go ahead. God knows if you eat that, you'll be like him. And that's in Genesis 3, but if you look back to Genesis 1, you find a different conversation where God says, let us make man and woman in our own image and likeness. So in other words, in Genesis 3, Satan's telling Eve, hey, if you eat this, you'll be like him. But in Genesis 1, God created Adam and Eve to be like God 
in some ways. So Adam and Eve, in essence, are trying to become who they already are. Here's the thing. The enemy can't take your worth, but he can take your awareness of it. He can't take your value, but he can take your vision. He can't take your gift, but he can take your grit. And one of the ways that the enemy tries to orchestrate his lies is by infecting us with inadequacy. So, so we, we find ourselves sometimes in this identity crisis, right? I mean, I've been there, you've been there, maybe you're there today. And in those seasons, we must remind ourselves, I am who God says I am. And when we feel that inadequacy, we, we must remind ourselves that we're, we're who God says we are. We're, we're loved, not unlovable. We're forgiven, not condemned. We're blessed, not cursed. We're not just a conqueror. The Bible says we're more than a conqueror. We're not here just to survive. God made us to thrive. And as the enemy tries to orchestrate these lies about our inadequacy, it's always been interesting to me that when when you look in the Bible and you read these different stories, when God calls someone to do something of significance, you very often see before this person accepts the assignment, that God has to talk them out of their inadequacy. He's trying to align their beliefs so that they start to believe about themselves what God believes about them. So Gideon is an example, and Jeremiah is an example, and maybe one of the best examples is Moses. So God says to Moses, I'm going to use you as a leader to lead my people out of slavery and into freedom. But Moses says, hold up, flag on the play, Wait a minute, I'm not the speaking type. I'm the behind the scenes kind of person. I don't do the speaking thing. God, you're calling me to do something in the exact area where I feel inadequate. Essentially, Moses is like, I can't do this without you. And God is like, exactly. That's why I chose you. That's why I chose you because you know you can't do it without me. And I don't even think you'll try to do it without me. And just like Moses, there's something inside of all of us that God wants to unlock and unleash. And for those listening online or those at Grovetown and South Campus, because I forgot about you, and I'm just realizing that as I'm speaking, good morning to you. Thank you very much. I digress. (laughs) The Grovetown Campus pastor forgets to welcome in the Grovetown people. I know. Please forgive me. Um, Anyway, back on track here. (laughs) But just like Moses, God wants to unleash and unlock something in you. And and although the enemy can't take away your unique abilities, he wants to and he will try to stop you from using them. He wants to hold you back from moving in the direction that God desires for your life. He doesn't want you to see the value of what God has put inside of you. But I want to tell you something. God wants to introduce you to a new you. Maybe for the first time this year, a stronger you, a wiser you, a more courageous you. And and, and a great example of this journey is found in the life and the leadership of a man named David. I just read a few verses from 1 Samuel 17, but the the broader context is in 1 Samuel 16 when, when God is looking for a successor to the king. So you have Samuel is one of the characters in the story. He's a spiritual leader. He's a civil leader. He's got a prophetic gifting. 
And God says to him in verse 1, chapter 16, he says this. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. King Saul represents this era, this era of leadership in Israel. And now God is ready to move on. That's what he's saying, essentially, in that verse. So God tells Samuel, it's time to move on. Even if you don't have the closure that you want. You ever been there? Big change maybe is happening or has happened in your life and, and you want closure or you want an explanation. Maybe even you want that from God. But here we find God saying, it's time to embrace the new thing I'm about to do. And God's saying to Samuel, essentially, will you trust me even though you don't understand it all, even though you don't have closure, even though you don't have the explanation that you want. God is saying, trust me. Because when God wants to do something in our lives and when he's doing something new, he doesn't always explain it. Maybe because he wants to cultivate trust in you, just like he does David. And in essence, what, what he's saying to Samuel is this. As soon as you stop talking about what you used to have, I can start talking to you about what you're getting ready to have. As soon as you stop talking about how it used to be, I can start talking to you about what's getting ready to be. Because the latter, the latter is going to be greater than the former. The best is not behind you. The best is in front of you. See, God doesn't, God doesn't take something from us to give us something inferior in exchange. Thank God for that. God says to Samuel in the next part of this verse, he says this. He says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse. Here's how the story unfolds and continues. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So what is God saying? He's saying you're trying to pour your oil on someone who doesn't want it or respect it. Someone who doesn't value it. But your oil doesn't belong there anymore. Now, the word oil in the Bible, it, it could represent abilities. It could also represent the biblical word is anointing. So essentially, God is saying, I don't want you to waste your oil. I don't want you to waste your oil, your abilities, your anointing. I don't want you to waste it. I don't want you to pour it in the wrong place. So I'm going to direct you on how to use them in this new season. Samuel, he's saying, in essence, I'm getting ready to send you to the right place to pour your oil. And it's interesting because sometimes in life, there's nothing really wrong with our oil. We've just been pouring it in the wrong places. So, so God sends Samuel to Jesse's home. And Jesse says, Samuel, I have seven sons. And he says, all right, call those sons in because the next king is in your house. Which, you know, it's, that's, that's like you. You're kind of like, for real? The next king is in my house. I'm kind of shocked. Okay, I'll stand back. I'll receive it. So, so Jesse calls in his sons, and, and the first one walks up. His name is Eliab. And Eliab, you could probably describe him as kind of swaggy, okay? The Bible says he's got this aura, this, this vibe, this, uh, this appearance about him, and he's the first son that walks up. I mean, he's, he's what you would think looks like a king on the outside. And verse 6 says this in chapter 16, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and his response was, surely before the Lord, this is his anointed. So Samuel's like looking at Eliab, like imagine the scene, and he, he thinks this must be the Lord's anointed. But God has to correct him. And, and it's interesting because Samuel, although he had this prophetic gifting, 
he couldn't really see what was ahead because his attachment to the past was affecting his discernment in the future. Because Eliab kind of looked like Saul. But the text continues and reveals to us that God has a different criteria when he's selecting a king. The Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see as man does, for man sees the outer appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. When God determines who he will use, he's got a different criteria. He's got a heart criteria. So as Eliab walks in and we think he's the one, well, he's not. And then the next son walks in, and he's not. And the next one, and seven sons end up walking in, and, and, and God's like, no, 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 that's none. Which, you know, presents a little confusion here. So he asked Jesse, Sam was like, are these all your sons? Are, they all, are these all the ones that you have? And, and Jesse says, no, 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 that's actually one more son. He's out tending the sheep. Send for him. For we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So, so Jesse sent for his youngest son and he brought him in. It says he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord says, rise and anoint him for he is the one. Don't you wish when you were dating that God would say that to you? Rise, anoint her, she is the one, right? Would be so much easier. But that's not really what happened. <laughs> but, but, but this moment here, right, get a hold of this moment. Seven people come to Samuel before David. Seven people got the opportunity before David. Seven people got to the door. Seven people applied, you could say, before David. Seven people before David. Yet God held it all in place until David arrived. Because when God has something for you, it doesn't matter who gets there first. They can see it first. They can call first. They can apply first. But when your name is on it, it doesn't matter who gets there first. What God has for you is for you. And notice in verse 13, Samuel says, Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Then it says, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Now, I don't know if you think this when you read this text or have ever thought this, but you ever read a story and there's a detail there and it's, it's sort of like, was that detail necessary? You probably thought that when someone else is telling you a story, why they're telling you that detail. But, but have you ever read the Bible? I know it's the Bible and I'm, I'm fully in it, okay? But there's this little detail here. It just struck me because it seems a little petty, okay? So it says, he anointed him in the presence of his brothers, I mean, does that have to be there? Well, perhaps, right? I'm not questioning the Bible here, but, 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 but let, me, let me just tell you what struck me. It, it must mean that the same people who didn't think enough of David to even invite him to meet Saul are the same people who have to sit there and watch him get what they didn't think he deserved. And I love that because that's a powerful picture, really, of what the Bible calls divine retribution, or you could even say vengeance. And in, in essence, one of the things you can take from that is, is just as God had David's back, God has your back. That you can trust him in the midst of, of things that you may not understand. And, and then it says in verse 13, it says, it says, Samuel set out and he went to Ramah. And, and this is a little bit, puzzling if you really think about this and, and enter into the text because 
Because just imagine the scene. So David is sitting outside, and his dad is, you know, hugging him and saying, hey, hey, bud, I'm, I'm proud. I'm so proud of you. You're going to become the next king. This is amazing. And, and Samuel's putting oil on his head, right? So imagine, like, oil dripping down his head kind of deal, right? And then, and then he leaves. So translation, paraphrase of Steve Saccone, he greased him up and left him sitting there cooking in the sun, Okay? And David's probably like, come on, man, I'm the next king. Don't you know, like, don't you remember that you have that short-term memory? It's like, are you really doing this? You're going to put all this oil on me and you're going to leave. He's probably wondering, are you going to send me a chariot Uber or something, <laughs> right? Because my anointing has changed. I'm going to be the next king. I was just anointed. So it strikes me that his ability has changed, but his responsibility has not it's like, Samuel, you anointed me for something that I'm not about to do yet? Yes. I don't know if you've ever felt that where, where it's like there's a gap. There, there, there's your ability and it feels greater than your responsibility. So David gets anointed and then, and then he has to go back and tend to his father's sheep. It's kind of like, wait a minute, this is going backwards, right? And I think all of us go through these seasons where our ability and our responsibility don't really match. But it isn't punishment. In fact, it's far better than that. It's purposeful. And it's a gift. Because it's usually where God does his deepest work. His deep work of transformation. It's in seasons like these that aren't based on what we can do or what we are doing. But God instead is working on who we're becoming. And when David gets to the palace, God knows there's more than a throne that awaits him. There's a jealous king and all kinds of challenges that will come his way. And when David gets to where God is taking him, he's going to need the character to handle it. See, the truth about you and me and our lives is God wants to prepare us for what's coming next. We may not know what's coming next, but God wants to prepare us so that we can handle what comes our way. He wants to shape our character. He wants to change who we are. And he doesn't always do it the way we think it should be done. Usually not. Because sometimes you can get to your destiny underdeveloped. And what should feel like a blessing can start to feel like a curse. You see, God supernaturally arranged these circumstances for David to get into the palace. It was first as a musician. And King Saul loved David so much that he eventually made him an armor bearer. His armor bearer who literally carried the king's armor. And so David would work for Saul, and, and, and then he would go back, to, go back home to tend to his father's sheep. But then here's where the story gets good, real good. One day comes along, and Jesse tells David to take some food to his brothers who are in the military. So, you know, after he delivers, I don't know, the pimento cheese sandwiches to his brothers, perhaps, he, he, he delivers those, and he's on his way back to work. And he hears some talking, and he says, what's that? Well, it's a Philistine giant who's talking smack, you could say. He's insulting Israel. And David's like looking around, he's like, do you guys hear that? And people are like, no, we don't hear that. He's like, nobody, nobody has a problem with what, what I'm hearing, what you're hearing that? And it gives us a window into what I would refer to as David's unique agitation. 
See, God doesn't just give us abilities, though he does. He gives us customized agitations. You and me can walk into the same room and something can bother you that doesn't bother me. Because the problems that bother you the most are usually the problems that you've been created to solve. Purposes and finding our purpose are often answers to problems. And so God gives us unique agitations in our own lives to help us and motivate us and drive us and fuel us to do the thing that he's called us to do, the the thing that he wants us to do something about. And the reason other people could not live with what Goliath was doing or saying because they weren't born to take him out. And there are some Goliaths that are in our lives that we need to face, that God perhaps has given you a unique agitation for those things. So at one point in the story, David says, who is this Philistine who, who dares to defy the living God? In other words, it's kind of like him saying, is anybody scared? Because I'm not. Is anybody scared? No, I'm not. And then word gets back to Saul and David, sorry, word gets back to Saul that David is willing to fight And so Saul tries to talk him out of it, and David convinces him otherwise. And here's where the story leads back to those opening verses. So the king says, take my armor. It's the best armor in all the land. Take my sword. It's the best sword available. In fact, this is the sword that's been battle-tested. It works. It's helped me be successful. But that doesn't mean it will fit David. For David to accomplish his unique assignment, he had to recognize what did not fit him. But imagine this tension here, okay? So he, he, he honors and respects the king, and he has to tell him, I know the armor and the sword. I know that worked for you. And I know everyone thinks I should use that. And I know culture thinks. And I know all my friends think. And I know my family think that I should use that. It's been done that way. It's been successful. But it's not the way God wired me up. And I think it took courage for David to say, everyone uses the sword, but I'm going to use the rock. Everyone uses the sword, but I'm going to use the rock. And with this rock, David goes out to fight the Philistine. Now, pause for a second. When I was younger, I was into wrestling. Not the new school wrestling, the old school wrestling. Anybody? WWF, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Ultimate Warrior. We got some fans, right? Jimmy the Superfly Snooker, the Junkyard Dog, the Road Warriors, Jake the Snake Roberts. I could go on. I will not. Okay? And, and, and I'm imagining Goliath thinking, I'm about to put him in a Jake the Snake Roberts headlock DDT. Okay? But he didn't realize something. He didn't realize that his advantages only worked in close combat. That his sword and his strength only worked in the octagon of the UFC fight, right? What some saw as a disadvantage for David turned out to be his advantage. The thing most people would have inadequacy about was the thing that made David uniquely capable of taking out Goliath. So with a rock in his hand, David takes out Goliath. And you know the story. He wins. Not to mention he goes and he cuts his head off afterwards. Side note. But he took the rock 
And he took Goliath out. And here's the thing about the rock. You have a rock. And your rock works. Your rock has been, de been designed to fight against the giants in your life. The giants that you've been called to knock down. And if you don't use your rock, you lose your advantage. In other words, don't try to become something that you're not. God made you just the way you are. Everyone listening at South, everyone listening at Grovetown, those online, you have a rock. And God made you just the way you are to use your rock. And your rock will work. He wants to use you just the way you are. In fact... The thing that might make you feel small in one season is the very thing that God will use to enable you to do something big in another. And I want to tell you, church, don't let anybody, don't let anything, not the enemy, not the inner you, don't let anyone talk you out of becoming the person God designed you to be. He didn't make a mistake. Don't let anybody take out, tell you, don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that what God gave you, the abilities he gave you, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let anybody stop you from doing what God has called you to do. You have abilities, you have agitations, perhaps you even have an anointing, and your rock will work. There have been times in my life when I didn't feel like I fit in. You know, we probably all felt that in one way or another. And, and I remember times in my life where I felt so different. I felt even at times that, that something was wrong with me. And for me in my own journey, I watched and observed a person in ministry and I watched and observed other people in ministry and pastoral ministry and, and they led a certain way and they had a certain gifting and, and they were successful and what they did worked over and over. And there were times in my life when I, when I found myself just trying to like mimic them or do what they do or do it how they do and then I had this, this journey of learning and discovery that just started to feel like I can't wear that. That's not me. That's not my gifting. That's that's not who God made me to be. I'm not what they are, nor will I ever be. And along the way, I discovered that what makes me feel different in one season is sometimes how God has used me to make a difference in another. And I've learned that even to be a difference maker, you have to embrace that you are, in fact, different. That you are different, and I am different. That you are unique, that I am unique. That God made it that way. And perhaps there's some listening today that need the gift inside of you to be stirred up. Maybe that's what you need this year, for the gift inside of you to be stirred up so that you would embrace your unique design, your unique gifting, your unique calling. And by the way, you have a calling. You may not know it yet, but you have a calling when Jesus invites us to follow him, he, he's not just giving us a ticket to heaven. He's saying, I have something abundant for you. I have, I have life in all its fullest. I have something so much more for you if you would follow me. And when you stir that up, the, the abilities, the calling, 
God will begin to move you to knock down your giants with your rock. You have to use your rock. Not someone else's armor, not someone else's sword. And it will require you to embrace your unique design, your gifting, your calling. It will call you to a life of courage and faith. Because here's the thing. There are people depending on you. To be you. To use your rock. To live in that reality. To step forward and say, I ain't scared. I'm going to step into a life of faith. I'm going to step into a life of of courage. I'm going to step forward with confidence and trust in the God who created me just like I am and called me to do just what he called me to do. Let no one take that from you. In a moment, I want to pray for all of you. I want to pray that, that God would do a miracle in your life this year. And you know, for me, some, some of the most important miracles in life are the miracles that happen right here. The miracle of a transformed heart. So what if, Stevens Creek Church, what if we decided that, that we would discover more and more who God really made us to be and what God is really calling us to do? And, and what if we learned how to align what we believe about us with what God believes about us and close the gap? And what if you used your rock to face your giants head on? Because what I believe God wants to do is he wants to use you to make a difference. He wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to bring transformation in your life and then through your life. And he doesn't want you just to know that you're different and embrace that. He wants to use you to be a difference maker. I want to close out the service today by having you stand and I'm going to pray over all of you. So will you stand with me? Would you bow your head and I just invite you to just pause in this moment. For those listening at South and at Grovetown and online, and for those standing in our midst, Jesus is calling you. Follow me. Follow me. I want to transform your life. I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm going to bring something new. Heavenly Father, I pause in this moment. And you are always watching over our lives, God. With the heart of a loving father, you see where we're at. You care about every one of us so deeply and you call us to something greater. I pray today for spiritual epiphanies, for light bulbs to go off, for you to spark new things in people's hearts and their minds, for callings to be discovered, for agitations to be identified. I pray you would open our eyes to see how to live as you designed us to live and to be who you designed us to be. Give us the faith and the courage. Give us the confidence to overcome our feelings of inadequacy and to live in the truth about what you think about us. You are a loving God and a God who wants to guide us. We, we ask you to teach us to trust you, to walk closely with you. And that as you did for Moses, I pray that you would do the same in our lives. 
Call us towards something that we don't even think we can do, God, without depending on you. Help us to do what you've called us to do and to do it in the way that you are calling us to do it. Help us to embrace that we are different and then use us to be difference makers. And God, today I pray that you would do a miracle in the hearts of people. I pray that we would be the people that you use to turn the world upside down. I pray this for this year and for years to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and thanks again for, for coming. We truly do hope you have a great new year. Come back next week. We're going to start a fantastic series. You're not going to want to miss it. Invite a friend, and have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.